0: Praise the Lord. Let's o- we're gonna open up the Word of the Lord to two verses, Ephesians chapter four, verse thirty, and First Thessalonians five, nineteen. We've been speaking about a relationship with the Holy Spirit, the need to have that personal connection uh, with God via His Holy Spirit. That can only happen to somebody or with somebody that is born again, that comes to Christ, uh, that has that personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And today I want to talk about a couple of things that can hinder your relationship with the Holy Spirit. There are many, but these will be some that can affect your relationship with the Holy Spirit. And this is vital because a Christian that doesn't have a relationship with the Holy Spirit powerless Christian powerless Christian it's the same thing as, as a marriage that doesn't communicate that you, you know you marry somebody there's a, a movie uh, not a movie but a series it's Married at First Sight you ever, anybody ever saw it it's, it's the weirdest thing they, they get people together and a, a, a group of three four people decide who they think can be compatible with each other and they just agree to get married <clears throat> and start life together. <laughs> well, you know, they legally get married, but they don't know each other. And then they, the cameras hang around for the next six weeks to see how they did. Well, how do you think they're going to do? And it's, 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 uh, it's hard. It's hard. But it's, it's worst when you don't have a relationship with the person you're with. And, you know, the, the Bible says... Jesus actually said, when you pray, pray this way. Say, our Father. That's it. There you go. When you say our Father, what does that mean? Right. It denotes relationship. If he's, and it also, I, exactly, denotes identity. He's your father and your son or daughter. Exactly. Right. So he's telling us we want a relationship with, you know, with humans. I don't just want... Almighty God, I want Father. That's what he's saying. He wants to be our Abba. So in that relationship, he will talk to us, he'll bless us, he'll give us direction. But without that, how can you have any relationship? How can you have strength in that relationship? You can't. So it's very important. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Look at that. Another reason why we need the Holy Spirit. Because he's the one that seals. He's the one that marks us for that day. He's the one that sets us apart for that glorious day of redemption. He's the guarantor. He's the one that guarantees. Anybody ever uh, filled out a mortgage? We had to do a refi not so long ago. We had to sign, I don't know, 40 pages, 50 pages. Ridiculous. It's a whole book. We had to guarantee. Yeah. Calvary Christian Fellowship owns this building. Amen. 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 you, You own it. And we made sure the loan was structured that way, that no individual owns it. You own it. But it needed a guarantor. It needed somebody to guarantee that if you default, it would fall on that person. That person be me. In other words, I believe in this so much. I believe in making sure this local church is open and, and thriving. I believe in us so much that when they said, well, we don't know this entity called Calvary Christian Fellowship. I said, well, I do. I know the people there. They are faithful. I said, well, we need someone to guarantee it. I guarantee it. You understand? So uh, that's what they want. They want a guarantee. Well, guess what? The Holy Spirit is the guarantee. So when we get Hallelujah. to heaven, when we get to heaven, right? The Holy Spirit says, "I guarantee." Hallelujah. <laughs> Doesn't get any better than that. Doesn't get any better than that. Hallelujah! Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. So that means we could grieve the Holy Spirit. Let's go to First Thessalonians chapter five. Verse 19. I'm going to read that one from the amplified version. I like the extensive research that was given, and because of that, it shares several truths in a, in a, in a sentence form. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19. Do you have it in the King James version or in the New King James version? What, what does your version say? Quench not the Spirit. That's it. Very pithy. Very to the point. Very succinct. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. That's a command. Because Jesus knows we need the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm leaving. But it's good that I leave because the Father will send you the other comforter. He's the one that's going to lead you to all truth. He's the one. My God. We need the Holy Spirit. Then the Apostle Paul, by revelation, says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. In the, other, in the Ephesians 1, Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Well, isn't it interesting? It's really only people that are alive that can be grieved. I can go to the cemetery and insult all them people. And nobody would care. You know why? They're not here. They're not alive. They don't sense. But the Holy Spirit's alive. He's not an it. He is alive. And as such, you can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can disappoint him. And then he says, you can quench him. Whoa, that's not something we want to do. Well, guess what? Many Christians today have grieved the Holy Spirit or have quenched the Holy Spirit in their lives. By their lifestyles, by their lack of faith. And by many other things. So today I wanted to share some of those things that we need to deal with. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you, dear Holy Spirit, for living in us and for directing us. Thank you that you're ever-present. You're there for us. You, You are our paraclete. You are the one that comes to us and comforts us and directs us and gives us wisdom. And you take things from the Father and share it with us. You're the one that's there ever standing by to help us. Lord, we praise you. I pray that you open up the eyes of our understanding that we might know this truth on a personal level, my God. So as Christians, we might be victorious each and every day of our lives, my God, because we have a personal and and vibrant relationship with you. the Holy Spirit, you teach us today. You reveal it to us today, I pray. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated in the presence of God. So, things that hinder your relationship with the Holy Spirit. Right now, I even think that Christians uh, are allowing the Holy Spirit to be grieved, even in the way we're dealing with this election. Uh, everybody went, huh? what, what's he talking about? It's because I see all throughout Facebook, all throughout Twitter, Many Christians. I'm talking about thousands upon thousands of Christians getting so angry that they're insulting each other because one has a, a, a pretty much a different opinion. There's a group that's voting for Trump, and there's a group that's voting for Clinton. But the problem is, is the the Clintonites, if I, I were to say it that way, are so angry at the Trump Trump Trumpites. How, how do you call them? Trumpets. Trumpets. The trumpeters? I'm talking about, they're so angry, they want to fight. I'm talking about Christians calling themselves names, insulting each other. How do you insult Christ like that? You don't have any wisdom. The Bible says you do it to him, you do it to him. You do it to one of us, you do it to him. We cannot look at each other and hate each other and insult each other because we are in the same body. It would be like me going, stupid hand, stupid hand, stupid hand. Oh, can you wash my face? Really, it's, it's dumb. And then you got the one on the Trump side. Some of them militant. and Some of them also calling names. It's terrible. You know, there was a, a movie one time, and, and the president there, before the aliens kill him, he goes, can't we just all get along? <laughs> huh? <laughs> exactly right. But it's, 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 It was funny, but he was making a good point. In other words, humans, we may, many times have a hard time just simply getting along. Why? Because the further away we get the, from Holy Spirit, the more we get in the flesh. And this thing has gotten into the flesh down and dirty. We need to pray to God and, you know, vote our consciences. Yes, we have to vote, but I can't hate you because you want to vote for the person I don't want to vote for. No, I love you. And I know that we're not going to agree on everything. We've got to, you know, pray for this nation. But the truth of the matter is, it doesn't make a difference who gets voted in. They're not going to be able to save anything. It's going to take God moving upon this land. And when we get this, we'll stop trying to think that one person is going to save it all. Because the truth of the matter is, they get in there, they promise you 10,000 things, and if they accomplish one or two, it's a lot. You know what I mean? That's the way it is. Yeah, that's, they all do that. And unfortunately, that's why I will never run for office. I've been asked to run for office various times. And each time I've said, no way. No way, Jose. <laughs> Sometimes I can get very corny, you know. But no, I, I just I want to emphasize that point. I'm not gonna do that unless I unless I'm called to that, I wouldn't do that. I don't feel called to it. Because it's such a struggle. Because they get into the flesh so quickly. We're not voted today by how good our points are. We're voted today by how I could kill the other person's character. It breaks my heart. Because none of what... Probably 80% of what will be spoken about tonight will be all about the other person's character... And maybe 20% about solid policy. How can we get ahead as a nation like that? You know? But again, these are things that grieve the Holy Spirit. And what I'm sa- the reason why I'm saying this to you is that I don't want you to, 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 uh, to debate who's the best person to vote for. That'll be on you. That's your heart with God, your conscience with God. Look at the issues and vote. What I'm saying is that even in that arena, we as Christians were falling into the flesh and allowing the flesh to dominate our actions. And I know because I I hear a lot of the rhetoric from Christians. I'm not even talking about the world. The world's going to act like the world. I understand that. That doesn't. it, It bothers me. It hurts me that they hurt each other. And you know, but I understand that. They're in the world. They're cursing. That's what they do. They're not born again. But we as enlightened, born-again people who know God and who know His Spirit. His Spirit is with us when we're, when we're arguing. His Spirit is with us when we're criticizing our brothers and sisters. His Spirit is with us hearing everything we say. In the, power, in the tongue, you have the power of life and death. And we have to be very, very careful as to how we handle these things. Sir. Hallelujah. So one of the things that I wanted to share with you that hinder the Spirit of God freely moving in your life and giving you direction and wisdom is unconfessed sin. 1 John 1, 8 and 9. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is not a pretty message, but let me tell you, it's what we need right now. Because when we walk in unconfessed sin, when we walk in the flesh and don't allow the Holy Spirit access into our lives, as the great um, teacher and instructor, if we don't allow him to mentor us, how does he mentor us? When we sin, we sense it in our hearts. We feel bad about it. And thank God that we feel bad about it, because that means that your spirit is tender and sensitive to the Holy Spirit. There are people walking this earth that have seared consciences. That the Spirit of God cannot knock on their door anymore, on the door of their heart. They don't feel a thing. And they know it. They say, I don't feel anything. I know I know where I'm going. I would never ever want to be in that place. Dear Holy Spirit, never let me get to that place where I'm not sensing you anymore, where where I'm not feeling, you know, that 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 touch of, of your heartbeat that's saying, son, you're in sin. This is not your nature. Your your, your nature now is from the kingdom of God. You're a child of God now. This is is beneath you now, that lifestyle, these actions, these behaviors. Unconfessed sin can grieve the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit takes a standby position. And many in the body of Christ are like that today. We need to get back to Almighty God. If we have something that we know is wrong, the Spirit of God will give you conviction. And conviction will always draw you to God. Yes. Condemnation, which is what the devil does, will always draw you away from God. Got it? So if you feel conviction, you feel like getting on your knees and say, oh God, forgive me, that's good. Yes. If you feel con- condemnation, oh, I'm not going to go back to church, man, I just feel too bad. I just, I, I, I'm not worthy anymore. That's the enemy. Trying to separate you from Almighty God. Know the difference, people. Know the difference. Come back to God. When you sin, run to God. Amen. Amen. See? And, and many times you get so sensitive that the moment you sin, you know it right then, right then and there. Whew, I blew it. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. What I said was wrong. Uh, the way I thought was wrong. The way I behaved was wrong. You know it right away. So what we do is we go back to God. God, forgive me. And he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all our sin. So that's the first one. The second one is doubt. Doubt is a killer. When we doubt that God can move in our lives, when we doubt the word of God, that is a killer. James 1, 6 through 8. Let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double minded man, unstable in all his ways. When we doubt, we become unstable in our faith walk. We're here today, we're here tomorrow, we pray in faith today, and tomorrow we make confessions that nullify the prayer we said the day before. We have to become rock solid in our faith. I'm not saying we're perfect, because in this world, while we're in this body, we're always going to be tempted to feel sad, to be angry, and and to have different emotions. But one thing is solid is our confidence in him, our confidence in his ability, our faith in him and his word. So when I don't feel like it, I still declare his word over my situation. I still declare that he can heal me. I still declare that he leads me. I still declare that God's going to turn my situation around for the better. I still declare that Holy Spirit can make signs and wonders happen in my life. Amen. I declare that this situation that I can't control, God is in control of that situation. God is in control of my family. God is in control of my workplace. God is in control of my mind, my, my thoughts, you know, my, my, my future, my destiny, my eternity. He's in control of that. So whenever I'm tempted to get into that place, whenever I get into a funk You know, when you get into a funk, you don't feel like doing anything. You just don't feel. I will, God, I worship you. And I don't feel it at the moment, but I know what I'm doing. I'm connecting with the one that can turn the situation around. And number two, I know my emotions are like this. My emotions are like that. So I don't trust in them. When I'm not feeling it, I still worship him because that's my faith discipline. See, as Christians, we become disciplined and the things we know are going to bring deliverance, are going to bring healing, are going to bring the wisdom of God to the fore, are going to bring the strategy to the scene. So When I don't feel like it, I still practice my discipline. There are times my body's telling me, no prayer today, please. And i I'll be right back. I'm going for a prayer walk. And my body's fighting me. My mind is fighting me. I'm saying, shut up. You're going to pray. You have your children to pray for, your wife to pray for, your church to pray for. You have the nation to pray for. You have to pray for different strategies and different things the Lord showed me. I have to pray for them. And sometimes I'm I'm in a battle while I'm praying. And I don't care. And my flesh is fighting. And I say, shut up. You're going to do this. Because I said you're going to do this. Am I crazy? No. It's my spirit, man, in the ascendancy. My flesh gets subservient to my spirit man, which knows the disciplines I need to practice. I'm not getting any amens here, but this is good stuff for us because we need to know that. Because we think many times that, oh, serving God is like, ooh, mysterious, ooh, like supernatural, you know? No, no. Sometimes it goes down to your disciplines. We need to honor God even in our disciplines. And without doubt, it's a very dangerous place. So when I'm getting to that place, when I'm being tempted to that place, I immediately get back just, no, I'm going to trust God above all. And you know, every time I fought that fight of faith, I get the victory. And I see it manifest. Anytime I've succumbed to the flesh and allow my flesh to make me get in a place to wallow, to just struggle, I find I take two or three steps back. Then I have to make my way back. When I realized, what did I do? I let myself get into that place. Hallelujah. And I know none of you struggle, because you guys instantly, when, whenever God speaks, you're in it. I mean, no doubt here. <clears throat> I'm the one that's struggling. Right? You guys, you, you, all you do is just close your eyes and you're already in heaven. But not me. I still have to fight this thing through. Praise God. Doubt is a very dangerous enemy. Don't allow it to flow in your life. Amen. The next thing that's interesting And you're seeing it today, even at the highest levels of government, is pride or intellectual thinking. The smarter I am, right, the better I should be. But many times, uh, intellectual smarts hinders your walk with God. You become prideful many times. They're Christians that, they're, you know, they're very educated in the natural, and after a while, they, 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 their faith life starts going down and down and down because everything that everything has to be justified in the natural or everything has to be uh, understood. There are things in God you're not going to understand in the natural realm. Right. There are things in God where you're just going to have to trust God. Right. Sometimes the way you think is right. The Bible says there are ways that a man thinks is right, but the end thereof is death. And you even see it today in today's educated folks. I mean, they are destroying this nation. The educators, the ones with with the Wharton educations, with with the Yale educations, with the Harvard educations, they're the ones that have us over $20 trillion in the hole. The senators, the congressmen, the ones that we vote for, for them to go there and fix it, they're messing it up. You know what $20 trillion is? I don't. I have no idea what $20 trillion is. That means nothing to me in my head because it's too big. There's no way we could pay that back as a nation. But yet, it's the educated folk that got us there. And yet, when the, the, the Christians go there to pray, because there are chaplains that pray with the congressmen. There are chaplains that pray with the senators. More and more are saying, "Oh, we don't, we don't need this prayer thing. We don't need this. We, we, we don't need you guys. Well then, if you don't need us, then why are you in such a mess? You can't get together. You can't make a decision together. When they talk to each other, they insult each other. That's what education is going to give us? I'm just trying to be honest. I'm just trying to just expose how faulty... Sometimes the pride thing is, or the intellectual thing is. Yes, study so you can do your job well, but don't think that you're smarter than God. Because we're not. God's ways are not our ways. His ways are higher than our ways. And there are some times that he sends us to do things that don't make sense to our natural mind, but it's because we're limited. God sees, he's like a chess player. You know real good chess players? They can actually see five, six, seven, eight moves ahead. And I, I, I can't fathom that. That's too much. I play chess, it gives me a headache. <laughs> yeah, because I'm trying to think two, two steps, three steps ahead. After why it sucks giving me a headache. Yeah, but what if he does this? What if he does? And then the guy says, Listen, half an hour already, move it already, move it. <laughs> and and it just it just burns my brain sometimes. But that's how God is. God's thinking of your children and your grandchildren. And meanwhile, you're making a move right now, and you're thinking it's just for now. So no, this move is for 100 years from now. Come on. Hallelujah. That's how God thinks. And meanwhile, we're just thinking, hey, hey, what's God going to do? I don't know. How, uh, you, tomorrow, you have any plan? Uh, nothing, nothing's going to happen, no change. We can't even think past tomorrow sometimes. God's thinking 30 years, 50 years, 100 years, 200 years. Hallelujah. Praise God. I remember when my grandmother, before she passed away... She told my dad, you're going to have a minister. in your. Family. You're going to have a son, and he's going to be a minister. How in the world does she know that? Well, my dad asked. He says, God told me that you're going to have a son, and he's going to be a minister. So, he, so she gave him a prophecy that wasn't even for my dad. It was for my dad's son. Why well, do you think when God revealed himself... To old Israel, he says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because he thinks transgenerationally. Amen. We, o- we only think about tomorrow. Man, if I only can get past this week, I'll be all right. <laughs> right? The truth of the matter is, no, you're not going to be all right. If you don't start thinking like God and start allowing God to direct your steps. No, you're not going to be all right. Because there's always going to be another issue, another yes. problem. But when we submit to God, and we have faith in God, and we allow the Holy Spirit to direct us, he'll direct us for the next years, five years, ten years. And some things we're doing now won't have any impact now, but they'll have, have impact ten years, 20, twenty years from now. Hallelujah. Amen. See, the thing is, we want things right away. Right? God is saying, I want you to sow seed. And you know what's the problem with Seed. Seed loves to take its time. Seed needs to go through a process. When you put the seed in the ground, it just sits there. And after a while, it starts putrefying. And after a while, it starts like decomposing. But all along, there's a process that it's going through. And after a week, a month, depending on the seed that you sowed, you get a little, small little leaf that comes out of the ground. Did it finish? No, that's just the beginning. It takes time. So some ideas, some concepts, some things that God asks you, God says, I'm going to use you and, and, and you're going to do this and you're going to do that. He says, Amen. year from now, nothing. You see nothing. You're only putrefying. <laughs> you're in the ground somewhere in a dark place and you're going through all sorts of changes and your life is topsy-turvy and you, you look, you can't see your way out of anything. God said, yeah, you're going to bear fruit, but first you have to, metam- you got to go through the metamorphosis. That's going to take time. And th- this is one of the things that I didn't appreciate. God called me, right? He said, you're going to be a pastor. But he didn't tell me all the things I'm going to have to go through. But what, you know what he told his disciples? He says, I would have told you, but you can't endure it right now. He told his disciples that just before he went to the cross. So you can't endure. In other words, you can't handle it. So he has to take you line upon line, precept upon precept, a little here, a little there. He has to walk you by the hand and take you through what we consider struggles. It's just a process. Say to your neighbor, it's only a process. (laughs) It's only a process. But intellectual thinking many times messes us up. In Proverbs 18.12 it says pride ends in destruction. Humility ends in honor. So when people are seeing you going through your process. And they're insulting you. And they're saying "Ah, look at you Christians. You you, you don't get anything done. Look look at you. You don't have any victory. Ah, Nothing's going to happen. You're saying humility will end in honor. You remind yourself. See, they will end in destruction, right? So when it takes me a while, I'm not going to worry about it because I know at the end of the day, the benefit I'm going to get is if it will far outweigh the work I am doing right now. I remember years ago um, when I f- first got a job in my industry, I was 18 years old. I became a doorman. But one thing intrigued me. The guy that ran the building, he, he wore tie just like this, dressed just like this at 40 Central Park South. Good man, his name was Mr. Ramirez. He would interface with millionaires every day. Just, he, they would go to him. He was the answer man. He was the boss of all the, uh, the, the, the doormen and the concierge and the handyman. He's the one that helped policy uh, with, with the board of directors. Uh, when well, that case, he was an owner. He was the one that was involved in purchasing everything and running the entire place. And I looked at him and it just intrigued me because I was only 18 years old. And and as an 18-year-old kid, you don't see much in life. You don't see too much success, at least from my background. And from my family, uh, my Puerto Rican family, uh, I didn't see anybody at that level. So I couldn't really relate to that. But when I looked at him, his name was Ramirez, I found out he was Puerto Rican also like me. I'd never seen a person succeed at that level. And I said, wow. So I got the nerve to ask him one day, how can you, being a Puerto Rican, have a job like this? I was 18. I didn't know. I wasn't wasn't trying to be insulting. I wanted to know, because my my mom, she sold books. My dad drove taxis, and he was a doorman. And my uncles, you know, they, they did work. You know, they worked hard, but I'd never seen anybody at that level, not from my background. So I asked him, and he smirked, But I guess he understood. This young man was being sincere. He he said, son, you can study what I studied. You have a union school, and just take these courses, and you could do what I do. And it's interesting, because for the first time, a man looked at me in the eye and said, you can do a lot more than what you think you can do. So that blew me away. I had a guy, a successful man, saying, you can be successful too, just like me. Then he gave me a little, a quick strategy. Just do this, 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 and this. So that's what I did. Immediately, I stopped playing basketball. So the guys at 108th Street in Columbus and Amsterdam wouldn't see me anymore. Um, the the uh, Anibal Aviles football organization didn't see me anymore. The softball people didn't see me anymore. But you know why? I went to night school. I worked during the day, and I went to school at night. Why? Because I had seen something that I wanted, but in order to get it, I had to sow seeds for it. I had to sow into it. So what happened? I'll tell you what happened. My friends immediately started criticizing me. Immediately, they started saying, hey, Vic, come on, play some b-ball with us. I have no time. I'm doing something very important. Oh, man, that's junk, man. That's not going to do anything. You, You know, you don't need that. I said, yeah, actually, yes, I do. I need it. So I kept on studying. It took me as, as I, between four to six years. But I studied all about buildings. So later on, I got hired. And I, I you know, started working and, and, and started taking care of buildings. And, and after a while, I'm managing uh, condominiums and co-ops. And, and guess who I was able to hire? Some of those very friends that were criticizing me before. And then the other one the, that you need to know that sometimes your worst critics are going to be your own family. Because when I told my dad, Dad, I'm, I, I'm no longer going to be a doorman. I am going to be a resident manager. And I'm going, to be one of the, I'm going to be one of the highest paid resident managers in the city. That's what I was telling him, right? And he looked at me and said, Son, be very careful. You have a good job. It's good benefits, good retirement. And, you know, he started getting upset. But not upset, angry. Upset, like disappointed in me, like scared for me. But I had so much faith that I can do it because I had seen somebody. I had seen a a person that accomplished it. And then to top it off, he came from my own background. And he was able to accomplish. And then he gave me permission. He says, yes, you can do what I do. So gentlemen, especially you guys, when you have a, a boy looking at you, tell him he can. Tell him with the help of God, he can do it. You take these young ladies with the help of God, yes, you can do it. God will help you. Because I, that, that, that just, woof, it got me in gear. Praise God. But the thing is, is that he said you can do it, but it took me four to six years of sowing seed in, a high sc- um, in night school in order just to get permission to access the place. Then I had to work hard and, and go to various jobs before I developed that level of excellence to be able to serve at the higher levels. But the issue is, is that I decided whatever it takes, I'm gonna sow seeds, I'm gonna work the process. Say with me, work work the process. We need to work the process. And the problem is if we are we have this intellectual thing, you know, we'll try it once or twice, we'll try it for two months. If it doesn't work, we give it up. No, don't give it up. Don't give up on God because he hasn't given up on you. Don't give up on on the dream that God has placed on your heart because it takes a little longer. Anything worth its weight in gold will take suffering, will take process, will take sacrifice, will take getting out of your comfort level in order for you to walk into that better future that has benefits for you and your family and for even the ministry that God's called you to do. Praise God. You see, and this is why I look at that. I see so many Christians unwilling to go through process. I say, you're not going to grow. You're not going to grow. And I don't know where the teaching has come in, but today there is a a teaching in Christianity that says, oh, no, just confess it and you'll have it. That's just part of it. You need to confess what you sense God is calling you to do, but then you have to be willing to pay the price it And the price takes time, it takes talent, it takes treasure, it takes sacrifice. Yeah. And this is where we miss it. That's right. That's right. When God told Joshua and Caleb, "That mountain is yours, take that land." They went in there, right, together with all of the, the, the soldiers of Israel in that time, and they took the land. After they took the entire land, Caleb, who was 85 years old at that time, went to Joshua and says, Joshua, you and I, we've been at this for a long time. Forty years ago, the leaders at that time were afraid. So we've been traveling in the desert for 40 years. But now we trusted God, and we took the land, Right? You know what Caleb says at 85 years old? He says, now give me my mountain. In other words, they just finished the process of taking legal authority over an entire region. But now Caleb was going to have to go back to that mountain and fight giants in that mountain. And kick out giants in that mountain. After fighting all that war, he was still going to have to go in his individual calling, in his individual realm of influence, and kick out some giants. And that's what you're not realizing. God has given you authority. He's saying, I'm giving you this. And you go, yes, I have it. It's mine. Now go kick out the giants. So now you're going to go into a warfare that nobody could warfare for you. You're the one that has the warfare. You could have pastor pray for you every Sunday for the next 52 weeks, and you still are going to have to go back and fight those giants. Say, say to your neighbor, it's time that you kick out those giants. See, part of faith, the Bible says faith has works. Faith and works. It's not just faith. It's faith and works. So, faith will get you revved up. Faith it will get you in sync with Almighty God, but then your works will help you uh, manifest on the earth realm what God has showed you in the spirit realm. When I hear all of you say, Amen, glory to God, then you all got it, because right now you guys don't have it. I think maybe one or two of you guys You know, that sounds interesting. <laughs> But when you got it, you will. Ju- I'm not going to say, I'm not saying for you to jump by your chairs. That's when you'll jump by the chairs. That's when you oh my God, I've been doing it the wrong way all this time. God wants to partner with us in the earth realm, but the bottom line is, we're the ones that have the authority to utilize the resources on this earth realm to make his will accomplish here that which is already accomplished in heaven. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. So we have to take the resources here. To make it happen. When God said, uh, when God told me and he told us, we're going to have a building. Wasn't that cool? That that prophetic word came forth? Huh? It's awesome that the word of the Lord came forth. That became, see the Bible says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen in the natural realm. Mm -hmm. Evidence. So the prophetic word was the evidence to us that we had a building. We just didn't own it yet. So when you come to court, what do you have to have? True. But what does the lawyer have to present? Evidence. evidence. Without evidence, you're not going to win your case. So when you go to a place, we have a building. I don't see the building. I have faith. Faith is the evidence that you have it, even though you don't have it yet. Because you have it here, and you first have to have it here, before you have it out there. <laughs> hallelujah praise God so we started saving for it we started prepping for it we started you know canvassing regions for it and we kept on every week we we're over there a couple of blocks away worshiping God but we're thinking about the building sewing into the building doing special projects for the building doing everything for the building why? because we have a building meanwhile nobody saw it but yet we had the building right? And then when God, in His infinite wisdom and counsel, decided, okay, it's time for my people to receive the building that I already gave them. Mm-hmm. See, because God speaks things that are not as though they were. Yes. Yes. Then He sent to one of us, remember Jeanette? Yeah. He connected Jeanette with the person that had the information as to where the building was. And I love it because... God made it so easy for us when it was in the timing of God. That's another thing many times we miss, is the timing of God. We want things out of the outer timing, and that's when we get into all all sorts of trouble. So in the timing of God, we were getting prepared for the building that God told us we had. So in the right timing, Jeanette comes and tells us, Listen, there's a church that's about ready to go on sale. It's not on the market yet. And my friend just happens to have the contract for it. It doesn't get any better than that. So before I ever went on market, I spoke to the real estate agent who had the exclusive on it. She was such a sweetheart. She even came here to our celebration service. Great woman of God, too. She's a Christian, loves the Lord. And for her, it wasn't just a sale. For her, it was a pleasure that this building stay in the kingdom of God. So she said about it. I looked at it, and we all looked at it, and we said, you know, this sounds good. This is in the area that we've been already a couple of years, and wow, great timing. Uh, I'd love to see if we can have it. We spoke to the owner, no problem, is another pastor. He says, I, I, like, I like you, I like you. Yeah, well, let's do this. We shook hands, then we signed the contract. But it still wasn't over That th- at that point. We had to then go to the table of negotiation and settle on the price. God gave us favor there. Then, after all of that, we settled. We agreed. Uh, now we need uh, whatever amount of money, down payment, and it's a commercial loan, so we have to have 30% down. But since we've been preparing for the building that we had, that we didn't have yet, but God said we had, so we were prefer- preparing for it because we believed God, because we had faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen in the natural realm. We were prepared for a building. We didn't know where it was at. We didn't know what, I I just knew what it looked like. I kept on telling you, I know what it looks like. I've already seen myself preaching in the pulpit from that place. Remember I would tell you, the congregation? So then the bank says, okay, good, give us the money. Now, if we wouldn't have prepared for it, see, here's where faith and works comes in. Many people say, I believe God. Amen. You're not going to get anything by just saying, I believe God. The Bible says demons believe also and tremble. It's not enough. You have to, <clears throat> you have to connect it with your works. And the works have to be in sync with the will of God. Amen. So what happens? We got the building. Guess what? We're sitting in the building right now. Yes. Praise God. <laughs> and that's just one step. Of, of so many testimonies that all of us have in our lives and when we decided to trust God. I remember one time, a uh, crazy thing was happening to me. I, was, I, mean, I mean, one week away from losing the house I had in Pennsylvania. Not this one, a uh, previous one, years ago. One week away. And I got a guy that wants, you know, a person that wants to buy it. So we do the negotiations, everything's fine. Three to two days before the closing, the guy backs out guy backs out. So what does my mind say? I'm messed up. I'm going to lose a home. I'm going to lose my down payment. i lose everything. I'm going to lose a home. And I was in, in worry and concern. And then suddenly, I was in my living room <clears throat> all alone. I think uh, Gwen was picking up the kids at school or something like that. And I'm in my living room. Some, uh, then suddenly, I felt a spirit of faith come upon me. I just felt it like a mantle. And I just said, oh, no, no, hold on a second. And right there, I said, devil, you're a liar. This house will sell. Father, I declare that a buyer comes forth with the money, and we're going to close on this home. It's crazy. It makes no sense. That's not how you do business. There's a lot of negotiation behind it. When a person's going to buy a house, it takes two to three months sometimes because they first have to see how much money he has or she has. uh, Are they good and worthy candidates credit-wise? It takes time. I said, no. In two days, in three days, a buyer will come forth. So what happened? As soon as I finished the prayer, I said, I have it. I have it. I felt it. I felt the spirit of faith on me. I had the title deed that a person was going to buy the house. Couple of, a couple of hours later, the real estate person calls me up. He says, we don't know how this happened. We just don't know how this has happened. But a person has come forth. He has cash, and he wants to buy your house. Amen, Vic. I mean, that's a wow. <laughs> Praise God. That's, that blows me away. It, it, only a miracle. I have to self-motivate. If you guys, some of you are going to... To me, that was amazing. But I knew it when I made the prayer. Amen. And when they called me, I went, yeah, because otherwise I would have lost the whole deal. And it was, I felt it was so unfair to wait for the last moment to then back out. That's wrong. It was, it was wrong of that person to do that. But they, and the beautiful thing about it is there's only two, three days left for the foreclosure, but praise God, because since this guy had cash, we didn't have to go through all the credit stuff. We could go right to closing. And I didn't even have to go. They did all the stuff, all the paperwork, mailed me the the receipt that they had transferred, and everything was fine. But again, if I would have looked at it intellectually, I would have flipped. I would have flipped because there's no way you're going to get somebody like that. Praise God. Oh, yes, there is. When you trust God, when you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit... You will see signs and wonders in your life. You will see miracles in your life. Things that shouldn't happen in the natural will happen because God is not limited. He's not limited to our little situations. He's not boxed in. He is eternal. He's all powerful. Praise God. He's all over the place. He's here. He's in China. He's in Africa. He's in South and Central America. All at the same time, making miracles and providing for his people all over the world. Hallelujah. Psalms 111, verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do His commandments. See, so when we do His commandments, when we trust Him, when we believe Him, then we will see that level of supernatural life. The other thing is religious traditions. Religious traditions could really mess you up. In Jesus' day, he had the greatest arguments with the religious folk. He had the greatest fights, not fights, but you know, disagreements with those that were supposedly representing him. On one occasion, he said to them, he says, you know the scriptures, or supposedly you know the scriptures, but the scriptures testify of me. So in other words, they had the word of God, but they didn't know the word of God. They had the written word, but they did not know the living word who was right there in front of them. He says, you know this word, but that's the word that's testifying of me. Yet they could not wrap their heads around it. Tradition many times will stifle your walk if you're not careful. Well, we never did it that way before. When the church I came from, we got to be careful because God is leading his people, not just one denomination. Mark 7, 9, he said to them, Mark 7, 9, all too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. So we have to be careful. Sometimes traditions work 30 years ago, but that tradition won't work today. God's doing something different. He'll never break his principles, but sometimes he moves differently. One, one And one time he spoke to a person and they were healed. Another time he spit in the person's well, not in, the, not in their face, but he spit on the ground, made mud with it, and threw it in his eyes. You know, God's creative that way. He'll, he'll do things differently. In the Old Testament, um, Israel was in a sinful condition again. So he told Moses, I want you to raise up a bronze serpent right in the center where they were at. A bronze serpent, and he called it Nehushtan. And he says, that serpent, if anybody is being attacked by little serpents that were biting them and and the, the serpents had fire on them. The weirdest thing in the world. If you get bitten by one of those things, look toward the serpent and you will be delivered. You will be healed. So it's a very unusual thing that God did there. Very unusual. So what happened? 400 years plus later, God told his prophet, Tear that that statue down. What God said erect in one season, God told his people tear it down in the other season. Because that was unique to that situation, that particular uh, generation. But many times what we do in a previous generation, we idolize in another generation. Let me say it differently. What works in one generation, maybe in a future generation, it becomes to us a tradition that we don't want to break because our fathers did it that way, so we have to do it the same way. Okay? I come from, uh, I got saved early 70s, early 70s. So I know a lot of the traditions of that church I came out of. Some of these traditions, I can't utilize them anymore because they don't fit in the year 2016. At one point in my life, I was very guilty of doing things differently because, you know, that's the way I was taught. Traditions can sometimes stifle us. We have to move with the glory cloud. God is doing a new thing in every generation. See, See my point? So we have to be sometimes careful. Are we hearing God or are we so stuck in our tradition that we cannot do what God is saying to do in this day? Very, very important. So we, sometimes we grieve the Holy Spirit because of our traditions. The other thing is sometimes emotional wounds can mess us up. Things like anxiety, abuse, things like depression, uh, unforgiveness. These wounds many, time, uh, many times don't allow us to hear God, don't allow us uh, a relationship with the Holy Spirit because we're so caught up emotionally that we reject when the Holy Spirit is talking to us. Proverbs 3, 7 and 8. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. Don't flow in your own wisdom. Our wisdom many times includes our emotions. Our our wisdom many times includes our perspective. And not for nothing, but the older I get, the more I realize that many times my perspectives are off. What I thought was solid fact actually turned out to be my opinion. So I have to be willing, sometimes I have to be absolutely willing in saying, God, I know I'm connected emotionally with this way of being, with this thinking, but I'm starting to think I'm wrong here. And this person gave me some good advice and I really, really have to somehow or another disconnect my emotion from this thing that has become a sacred cow for me. If You don't do it this way. What has been a sacred cow to you in the past? Something that you realize was just basically a part of your past or part of your uh, uh, religious experience in the past. Uh, I'm asking a question to you. Can anybody... Talk to me about that. What has been a sacred cow to you? When I say sacred cow, something that you thought was holy, and uh, you, know, uh, you can't do it any other way. Don't everybody talk at the same time. You're confusing me. on Very good. Yeah, eating fish on Fridays. A lot of us, you know, from the Catholic background, if you don't eat fish, you're going to get guilty. You think, you know, that, that, that lightning is going to strike from heaven, and, and that's it. Consume you. Yes? Oh, that's a big one. Yeah. Seventh-day Adventist, is it? Right, right. That's a big one. It's a big debate, too. And to this day, there's a very big uh, um, debate on uh, the, the translation of a specific series of verses that some people think that you have to worship only on Saturdays. And then there, you look at the history of the church. There's one point of the church uh, that, that the Christians started worshiping on a Sunday versus on a Saturday. And Jesus one, one day told the disciples, I am Lord of the Sabbath. So, uh, you know, you, you, that's, that's a great teaching, by the way. Yeah. But still, that's a sacred thing to many. And thank you. Great point. And, and watch this. The way you translate or interpret scripture many times creates your, your filter of how you live out your life. Sometimes we translate scripture in a specific way that later on turns out not to be the right thing. I was raised in a church that the women were guilty of everything. Everything, everything. They could not cut their hair. They could not wear pants. Um, they could not wear any makeup because the Bible yes. said so. So I just took it for granted that the Bible said these things. When I started studying scripture, I realized the Bible really didn't say that. They would use verses like Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 8, uh, Deuteronomy twenty-two eleven, for a woman can, uh, not being able to wear pants. But it doesn't actually say that. It says, men shall not wear women's clothing, and women shall not wear men's clothing. That's an abomination. But in those days, there were long frocks that men and women would wear. Uh, I guess the design delineated which belongs to a man which belongs to a woman. But from the tradition I came from, it only spoke about women wearing pants. Hence, any woman that wore pants in the church immediately was signaled for uh, discipline. Disciplina. Discipline meant you sit down, you can come to church, but you have to sit in the back, and everybody knows you're in discipline. So as they pass by, you go, you disciplined person, you. (laughs) You know. So... I mean, I understand sometimes church has to discipline, but they would discipline that specifically because of their specific translation of that verse. So when I spoke to the pastor, I said, Pastor, look what it actually says. It said, men shall not wear women's clothing, women shall not wear men's clothing. When you study the the history of pants, to this day, to this day, you look, women in the older times had knickers on, and this was for women, right? To this day, you look, there are women's pants, there are men's pants. In Scotland, men don't wear pants. Men wear kilts. But to my tradition, they were disciplina. <laughs> because you don't wear women's clothing, because the women's clothing is... is, is you understand? So you, we could take this the wrong way. You understand? Then the makeup thing. Yes.
1: Um, I didn't go to the movies until my early 20s, because going to the movies was a sin. That, that was
0: another one, yes. And, and, and in that same vein, there were some that preached from my tradition that you can't have a TV in your house. So we had services where we would take the TVs to the front and we would take hammers to the TVs and we would destroy them. <laughs> well, they were all black and white in that time, but we would destroy them because here was we were becoming like the Pharisees. Pharisees in... in many, many years ago, would create laws to protect them from breaking the real law. Yeah. So here's the law of God. Then they would create commandments, man-made commandments, to get so far away from the actual law. Now, in other words, don't commit adultery. So they created a law that says, don't, don't shake a woman's hand. Don't even look at a woman. Don't, 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 don't even discuss anything with a woman because of their fear that if they interface... I'm not saying... (laughs) I'm just saying that... Give me five, give me five. I understood. You're a man's man. You know that. So I'm just saying, (laughs) parenthetically, they would create laws to protect them from ever breaking the real law. So there were so many laws that when Jesus came, he would criticize them. He says, you've got so many laws... You're just creating sons of the devil, worse than yourself. You see. So from my vantage point, that's what also happened. Woman can wear makeup. Well, you can't see a movie. Why? Because if you go to the movie, you might see something that might make you sin. See? And that was the issue. Stay away from that place because that's the devil's playground. Right? Forget about the fact that you know we might have judgment. You know, just don't go to our movies. Go to G-movies. But the truth of the matter is, there is an element of truth there, but they were creating laws to protect us from ever... But here's the problem. They started saying, God said that. See? So when you say that God says something never said, then it's no longer the word of God. It's a man-made tradition, and it doesn't glorify God. It creates people that are enslaved. It's a type of bondage. What in the world? So many things, and we do that. Yes, yes, Artie.
1: Middle Easterners—that's what they—they go and buy
0: bondage with the Sharia law and all that stuff. You want to open up a (laughs) a a can of worms, huh? The answer is yes, especially for the ladies, especially for the ladies. But that's their law, and their law is all encompassed because it's governmental law, it's religious law, it's social law, all combined. But the, the, the challenge with that is that, and they're saying it's God's law. See, again, when we say it's God's law, who's going to argue God? See my point? But the problem is, is when we trust man who's supposed to represent God, and he's off, is he going to truly represent God? The answer is no. Yes? What about, what about um, like, earlier you said, uh, what, like, what were our golden cows? Uh, when I was coming up, I grew up Catholic. Um, confessing going to that booth was like every wednesday so that if you sin by friday at least it's not that many sins (laughs) on wednesday i I read up on wednesday so i I won't go to hell immediately on saturday um so what about what about what about that what about confessionals well the bible says confess each other's sins confess to each other uh, our sins so we may be healed so basically what, what god is saying well confession is good for the soul but you can't just confess to anybody Truly, the one that's, that forgives is Almighty God. It's not a priest. I can't, I, you know, you're, you're forgiving my son. I can't do that. God's the one that forgives because I'm not the one that died on the cross, right? But when we confess, let's say if you have an issue you're walking through, you need another man to help you. Especially, let's say, I'm just going to throw something arbitrary, nothing to do with you. Let's say you know, a man struggling with pornography. You know, it's hard to go to your wife and say, "Hun, man, I'm struggling with, with pornography, it's better for you to go to a man that you could trust, a, a man of God, somebody that you guys could pray over it and, and you could, you know, that's me, right? Yeah. I, I think they're, they're watching you know, live and they want to also ask a question. You guys online, you got to hold off on it, all right? I got enough questions over here in the home front create rules on top of rules to keep us from breaking the commandments, um, is, is that like uh, similarly how it compounded off of confession to then you got to do ten Hail Marys and two Our Fathers in order okay, for the, to this? Absolutely. 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 Yeah. These are man-made rules. It's not God say. God never said we have to do Hail Marys. Actually, we're not supposed to do Hail Mary anything. Because Mary didn't save us. Mary had to receive Jesus herself. She's blessed among women. But she's not our savior, and she's definitely not our intercessor. Our intercessor is the Holy Spirit. Amen. So when we get off of Scripture and we let man start making rules and regulations for us, that's when we get fried. That's when we go, pff, we we go to pl- a judo some, a pl- a pl- Pluto somewhere. Wow. You see, so we have to be careful about these things, and and uh, I guess getting back to emotional wounds, <laughs> we have to be careful with the emotional wounds because we'll push God away. So I, uh, you know, years ago I learned this, but I still struggle with that. I always have to bring, yes, I always have to bring God back, you know, especially when I'm emotionally connected with something or emotionally uh, touched or marked by something. I have to look at its genesis. I go, where did I get this from? Where did it come from? Is it scripture or did somebody tell me? Because many people speak about what they believe, but they're wrong and so if you take it to yourself as a truth, then your emotion gets caught up with it, and then you have to deal with the nonsense later on. And some people live that their entire life. Yes? And That's what
1: I was about to say. You just pointed it the right there, that sometimes when you're in that circle, you never know that, you're, that that's a norma, that it's the dogma, that man created this, that it's not biblical, because you're in that circle. And I'm telling you by life experience yeah. myself, because I came from that church three years ago, I was still in that church, and my mind sometimes is still in that church. Because I feel that these things, when I see things happening in this church, sometimes I go crazy. I say, oh, my God, what are they doing? We're all going to hell here. But then (laughs) what we have to, what what God has shown me biblically that God brings churches like this, like we have right now, or my church, like now, to let me see. Look, these people are not going to hell. This is what the Bible says. This is something that man did, and man created this. And it's, what do we call that, brainwashing? That's the way I look at it. Like, it's a brainwash to a certain extent. So we cannot criticize those people either because they're still in that circle. Right. So we need to be careful about that. You see? We have to love our brothers.
0: Yeah. In, in, in my case, sometimes they'll struggle with me. And I won't struggle with them because I know their heart. Mm-hmm. Because I, I understand that. But they'll, they'll get angry at me. They, you know, you're, you're preaching falsehoods. I said, well, let's sit down and let's discuss what the scripture really says.
1: Because even if I go to that church again, I'm, before I used to be put on the pulpit two seconds, Carmen is here. She's gonna. Pre- now I will never be put on that pulpit. Why? Because they believe that I'm going to hell because I came to this church. So that's what I have to struggle with. Right. I struggled with it maybe even a couple of months ago until I continued asking God, please, alumina me, take away all of that man-made doctrine that's in my brain and give me what God, what you want me to know. Right. You Amen. see.
0: That's good, that's good, you're right. And the reason why they'll think you're going to hell or missing God is because maybe a little makeup, or maybe, you're still there, yeah? You you might cut your bangs. That, uh, some of them believe that if a woman cuts her bangs, that's bad. Listen, the, the bangs will go in your eyes, man, poke your eyes out. You gotta cut them things right. You gotta cut them bangs from time to time. I heard your message at 12 o'clock last night, midnight. It's good to see you. So I, I'm challenging your faith and I'm challenging your presupposed notions because I want you to know what's the difference between what Scripture is and what man-made, we have to live by the book. If it's in the book, it's okay. If it's not in the book, you can question it. And even if it's in the book, you've got to question it in terms of the context of it. Because I can make the Bible say anything I want. I could take it out of context and use it wrong. I could use it to hurt you. I could use it to wound you. I could use it to make you th- make make me better than you. And th- the context of the book is love, restoration, God wanting His family. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Yes. No, no,
1: no. Uh, I was gonna say that um, that's true in every aspect of our lives because. Um, you know, God intended to be a part of every aspect of our lives. And what you see, what I think is that the enemy has used that as a catalyst throughout the from the time that um, we saw that snake go up. Because we do it even within culturally. There are some things that we do culturally that we think is right because we were taught that it was right. And if you really went back and you realize why people did some of the things that they did, it was because at that point it was a convenient thing. And yet we do it today thinking like there's no other way. And you'll find that you even have cultural battles. You have the Dominicans against the Puerto Ricans against the Mexicans because each thinks that what they do is right when in the beginning it was just done because it was convenient.
0: When, uh, as an example, when Pentecost, uh, the Pentecostal church was first born, um, there was a great move of God, the uh, spirit of God, uh, in, in uh, Pastor Seymour's church. And uh, I think it was somewhere in California. And after the move of the Holy Spirit, they made a decision to, to separate themselves from anything that would appear uh, prideful or arrogant. Uh, and so they would dress in white and black. They would put no color. Men would wear white shirts, black uh, tie, black pants. Women would dress all the way to here, and all the way to there. Because this way they, never, they wouldn't expose anything in their body. And this was a voluntary thing they decided to do. They wanted to live wholly for God, totally separated. And even in their color scheme and in their clothing, they wanted to make sure that uh, they were uh, righteous and clean and, and separated from the world. They call it being separated from the world. So as the history of the Pentecostal religion kept on forming, the next generation did the same thing. Then the following generation did the same thing. After a while, they didn't realize what was the decision of why they decided to dress that way. It was a voluntary thing as an act of of voluntary submission to God, as an act of reverence to God, as as an act of of a show, of a separation from the world. They knew that didn't save them, but it's just that they wanted to show uh, a demarcation or a difference from those in, quote-unquote, the world. But two, three generations Later, they were teaching those generations, no, you can only dress this way, this way, this way. And you can't use this type of color. And you have to dress with a jacket. You have to dress with a tie for the men. You cannot have uh, a beard. You cannot have a goatee. Uh, So this is, I go there, they kind of look at this. This is not a good thing for them. They don't enjoy this. You can have a mustache, but you cannot have this. And one of my greatest arguments were, well, excuse me, our Messiah has a beard. (laughs) I'm not getting this. But it was vanity. You have to stay away from vanity because vanity becomes sin. So in my generation, when I came up, they still were teaching that. White shirt, black pants for the ladies, dressed down here, dressed there. But they didn't any longer have the spirit of the reason why. Now they have the letter, letter of the law. If you don't do it that way, we'll put you in discipline because it's a bad thing. They, they, they didn't have the heart of the ones that received the original revelation of that. And that's where we have to be very careful. Praise God. Hallelujah. The other thing is and I've I'm, I'm, got to finish, I've got to finish. Uh, so let me finish with this an unyielded spirit when we refuse to submit to God, when we refuse to submit to the Holy Spirit, Samuel first Samuel 15:22 and 23. But Samuel replied, "What is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings?" And sacrifices or your obedience to his voice. Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. And submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft. Some of you are going to hear that for the very first time. You know how bad witchcraft is to God? Rebellion is just as bad as witchcraft to God. Oh, but witchcraft, that's... uh, Rebellion is just as bad as witchcraft. So when we rebel against God, when God is telling us, submit to my word, submit to my way, and I'll bless you. No, I'm going to do it my way. That's what this generation does. This generation doesn't want to submit to anybody. And the young folk don't want to submit to anybody. They they don't want to submit to parents. They don't want to submit to the teachers. Today, the, the students are beating up the teachers. And if the teacher touches them, the teachers get in trouble. In schools and universities, you can't tell students now. Students even got safe zones. You can't speak to them. You can't offend them in any which way. We're getting away, away from God's word, away from our purpose, from the way God created us. We were created to be in submission to another. Coaches help us to be great. But to be able to be great and submit to a coach, that means you have to yield yourself. That's why people uh, who are very great, they all have coaches, but what do the coaches do? They make them run faster, they make them do more exercise, they make them disciplined. Same thing, God's word disciplines us, not to hurt us, but to make us better, to make us effective in our call of God, in our family, in our relationships. Praise God. So, unyielding spirit, this is not a good thing. Look what it says. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft. Stubbornness is as bad as worshiping idols. Anybody stubborn here? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. It's as bad as worshiping idols. I'm not getting many amens. This, I'll tell you what, next week I'll preach a message that will have you guys jumping up and down, right? No, no, see, this is how you get revelation. You sit and you soak in the word and you learn the word for yourself. Then it says this, so because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. He's talking to Saul. See, so when we reject God, many times we don't realize that God says, okay, I have to put you aside. I have to raise up somebody else to do what I really wanted you to do until the day that you realize it. And you go, okay, God, I'm going to submit to your process. Okay, fine. Now you're going to start on the very time, at the same place where I wanted you to start 20 years ago. Now you're going to start the process. So some of you should be a lot farther ahead, but since you were rebellious, since you were stubborn in the presence of God, God said, okay, stand by. But now's the day to be unstubborn, what, what does unstubborn, what's a good word for unstubborn? Yielded, surrendered, obedient to Almighty God, right? Obedient to His Word, to His, His way, obedient to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and I'm going to talk to you in a couple of weeks how are some of the ways we hear the Holy Spirit. But one of the ways is you just know, you just sense it, that the Holy Spirit is leading you in a certain way. You, you sense that permission, inside of you, or you sense that, uh, that move of God in your life, and you say, oh my God, this is not right, or oh, this, yeah, this is what God wants me to do. Sometimes it's not a voice, it's just a leading, a gentle leading. Somebody wants uh, a lot of fanfare, they want a prophet to come in from, I don't know, from England. Yay, the Lord is going to use you greatly, amen. No, sometimes just a gentle leading. One time, uh, God spoke to the prophet. And the prophet went out to hear the voice, and he saw the thunder. He said, God wasn't there. And he saw this. God wasn't there. He saw a great noise. God wasn't there. Then he heard God in that still, small voice. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And that's many times how God will speak to you in that still, small voice in your heart of hearts. Maybe it might be a dream. It might be a vision. But we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. So if you show up to church, you're going to get some more wisdom. Amen? Amen? Praise God.